0: Our theme today is Lessons from Beauty and the Beast. Lessons from Beauty and the Beast. Some of you ladies maybe are thinking you're sitting beside a beast. Others of you are thinking you're sitting beside a beauty. And I hope that in one way or another, all of you are thinking and believing that you are indeed sitting beside a beauty, whether it's a he or she All right, amen, for we are all beautiful in God's sight in different ways. Sometimes we have to dig a little bit more to see that beauty than other times, right? Well, many of you have probably read or have seen the musical production of Beauty and the Beast. Most of you here in Canada and the U.S. have probably heard about and seen Beauty and the Beast. It's a romantic story filled with drama and beautiful music. And what you might not know as yet is that there is a story in our Bible in which it would be appropriate to refer to the wife as the beauty and the husband as the beast. I hope my wife doesn't refer to me in that fashion. The story of Beauty and the Beast is found in 1 Samuel, chapter 25. If you want to turn to it, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, near the beginning of our Bible. The beauty in the story is Abigail, Abigail. The beast is Nabal. Now, briefly, here is the storyline in... 1 Samuel chapter 25, and there's some other parts of the Bible that tell part of the story as well. And here is the storyline. There was a man named Nabal, or Nabal, who lived with his wife, Abigail, near the town of Carmel. At the same time, David, who, who eventually became king of Israel, David was hiding in the area, hiding from Saul, who had been trying to kill him. While David and his men were in the area, they provided protection for Nabal's shepherds and herds in the fields. He had large numbers of sheep and goats. Now, when David learned that Nabal was shearing sheep, he knew Nabal would be making a lot of money from the beautiful wool. And so David sent men to greet Nabal and to very nicely ask him for some food, some basic necessities, provisions. David sent a group of his men, ten in fact, to ask Nabal if for all the things that they had done for this man, you know, could, could he help them out a little bit? Well, David made the request based on the custom of hospitality and sharing wealth with those who provided assistance for a person. And indeed, David and his men helped Nabal a great deal. If it hadn't been for David, Nabal would have lost a lot of his sheep and goats to thieves and and wild animals at that time. When Nabal got the request, however... For these provisions, he made it very clear he wasn't giving anything to David or his men, and you'll see that in a moment. David became very angry and uh, very quickly organized 400 of his soldiers to go with him to kill the beast, Nabal, and his men. Nabal's wife, who was Abigail, and she is what? The beauty. Nabal's wife, Abigail, heard what was about to happen, and she, being very smart, intelligent... Uh, when, when Abigail heard what was about to happen, she quickly assembled a lot of provisions. She got together food and other basic necessities. which She put them on the, the donkeys, whatever else she could find. And she rushed them out to get to David and his army. And uh, she went out to plead. She pleaded with David to spare Nabal's life. Not, not just for the sake of saving Nabal, her husband, but also she was quite intelligent because also uh, she, she said, please don't kill my husband. And she said that also for the sake of saving David's reputation because she didn't want David's reputation to get worse and worse on account of him killing Nabal and uh, men associated with, with Nabal. So let's discover now some of the lessons from Beauty and the Beast, and see how this story further unfolds. This is part one, part one, from this part of God's Holy Word. One of the first lessons that we uncover from Beauty and the Beast is this. Number one, first truth is this. Live your life so you will be known as a beautiful person and not as a beast of a person. This truth comes out in 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning at verse 1, where it says this, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep-shearing time. Because it was sheep-shearing time, that's when they get the wool, and they're able to take it to market and do whatever they do with all the wool. Verse 3, This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. Now please notice the wife, Abigail, is described as a sensible and beautiful woman. And I'm sure the word beautiful in this case is referring more to her internal beauty, her internal beauty rather than her external appearance, although most likely she was beautiful on the outside as well. Now her husband, Nabal, however, is described as crude and mean in all his dealings. He was a mean machine. He is the beast, we might say. Now, some of you are probably wondering how Beauty and the Beast ever ended up becoming husband and wife. You have to remember that in their day and age, marriages were usually arranged. Nabal was rich, and so Nabal's wealth would have been seen by Abigail's parents as qualification enough for her hand in marriage. By the way, The name Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, the beast, that name literally means fool. So why would any parents name their child fool? I I don't know. Parents usually mean well, but aren't always thinking carefully when naming their child. I'm not referring to anyone specifically here, okay? Okay? So I, I don't want to get off uh, on, a, on a tangent on how to name your baby, but please never give your child a name that might make life even more difficult for him or her while growing up. Amen? Now in the Bible story, unfortunately, Nabal's name not only meant fool, but he lived a very foolish life, which you'll see more and more as the story unfolds. Verse 3 says, Nabal was crude and mean in all his dealings. And then if you, read, if you read verse 25, you'll see how Nabal's wife described him. In verse 25, here it is. In verse 25, Abigail says of her husband, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. I hope none of us, none of our spouses, would say that of us men. But she was being realistic there, in a sense. Nabel was, in fact, a beast of a person. Now, here's the good news. The good news is this: no matter how much of a beast of a person any of us might be, male or female, if and when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, He begins, He begins to change, He begins to transform your life from a beast into something beautiful. Amen? He begins to make us and mold us and reshape us. Whether we live in Canada or the Caribbean somewhere or in in Guyana, wherever some of you come from. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. Sometimes we sing that wonderful chorus, Something beautiful, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion He understood. All I had to offer Him was brokenness and strife. But He made something beautiful out of my life. And how true that is, how wonderful that is. And we praise God for that. I want to encourage you today to allow Jesus, to allow Jesus through His Spirit, to change, to transform your life into something beautiful from the inside out. Whether we are men or women or young people or children, Jesus is the one who is able to make us and mold us in accordance with His will. Amen? So, that's the first truth we discover from Beauty and the Beast. Here's a second truth we should dig our teeth into. It is this. Speak lovingly, kindly, and nicely to people. After watching over and protecting Nabal's herds from robbers and wild animals, as we said earlier, one day David sent a message with Ten of his young men to Nabal. Now, I want, you to see, I want you to see how kindly and lovingly and nicely he communicated with Nabal. I know that it didn't get the desired results, but I want us to notice the beautiful way in which David asked for some provisions, for some food, for some uh, necessities that he and his team needed. Look at verse 4. It says, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. Now notice, he starts with his blessing. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. then he says, verse 7, I am told that it is sheep-shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be so kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration, please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. And then when we read later in the story, we are once again told of how helpful David and his men had been in protecting the sheep and the goats and protecting the shepherds at a very uh, dangerous time in history. What I want to point out is David's approach here, I believe, is a wonderful lesson For all of us, to speak lovingly and kindly and nicely to one another, wherever we are. Proverbs 12, verse 14 in the Bible says, Wise words bring many benefits. Proverbs 16, verse 24, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. Proverbs fifteen twenty it is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Say amen, ladies. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time, especially with us men, or by us men, anyway, right? My, my friends, let us speak lovingly, kindly, and nicely to each other. Now some of you, some of you might be thinking, well Pastor Nick, what you are talking about is very basic teaching. That's right. It's basic. It's foundational. But there isn't enough of it. There isn't enough speech with love and kindness and beauty happening on a regular basis. Many of you here have little babies, or toddlers. Parents, speak lovingly, kindly, and nicely to your little children, to your older children, to your teenagers, to your young adults. And why, why do I say that? Why do I even take some moments to, to make this point? Here is why. Here's why. Your parents loved you. But still, too many of you adults have emotional scars because, stick with me now, because of the, too many of you have emotional scars because of the tongue lashings you received while growing up. And some of you could easily talk about that which I wouldn't want you to do in public in fact in fact some of you some of you probably feel like crying and you have had crying spells over this issue your father or mother was not necessarily a beast but what they said to you or how they spoke to you still causes you hurt Let me also say, children, youth, and grown-up children, speak lovingly, kindly, and nicely to your parents. God says, honor your father and mother. And furthermore, at work, at school, at the grocery store, at church, speak lovingly, kindly, and nicely to people. It goes a long way. It is so essential and so beautiful. Amen? The third lesson we learn from Beauty and the Beast, and it is this. Now, I want you to think, when it is within your means, share your blessings with those through whom God has provided these blessings or those blessings. Now, in order for you to fully appreciate this truth, you you need to know that Nabal's profits from his sheep and goats would not have been as great if his shepherds and animals had not been protected by David's men out in the fields. Eddie Estep in his book, Who's Got Your Back, says this. He says, David hoped that since his men had performed a valuable service for Nabal, that is, providing voluntary protection for Nabal's flocks in a time when Philistine raids were common, Nabal would see fit to reward them with some much-needed provisions as a token of appreciation. Nabal refused to share anything. My friends, when David sent the ten young men to ask Nabal for some help, notice what happens starting in verse 9. Verse 9 tells us this. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. So these men gave Nabal the message that David was asking for some provisions just as a token of appreciation for all the help that they had given Nabal. And then verse 10, verse 10. Watch this now. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered at the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Basically, my friends, I think you got it, but basically, Nabal told David's men to get lost. That's essentially what Nabal said. He said, I, I don't owe you a cent, I don't owe you anything. Take Take take, whatever and, and uh, get lost from here. Just go. Beloved, when it is within your means, share your blessings with those whom God has provided those blessings. Amen? At the very least, express your gratitude when others provide you with assistance. Now, what does all this mean? What what does all this mean in practical life situations for you, for me? It could mean this. Some of you are doing extremely well financially because your parents, grandparents, or someone else helped you financially through university or when you were starting your business or whatever. Now, hopefully... The person or the people who helped you in the past, hopefully they will not need your financial help. But if they ever do need some help, when it is within your means, share your blessings with those through whom God has provided your blessing. Amen. The principle applies in many other ways as well. For example. If you are an an employer here at Rosewood Church, you in the sanctuary, if you are an employer or those listening by radio, if you are an employer, you, you, you have employees who work for you, it's very important to know that if your business is doing extremely well and your profits are up, employers... Share your blessings. Share your blessings with your employees whom God has used to help you experience more business and greater profits. Give your employees an unexpected bonus. Is there an amen in the house? Right? Help them out. Share the blessings. Share the the wealth. I always tell our board members on various occasions when we have been blessed as a church in different ways, we want to bless others. We want to share and be a blessing. Here's the fourth lesson that really can help you in your life and in mine, and it is this. Be careful not to overreact to disappointments, especially when you are under stress. This is another important lesson that we uncover from the story. The story tells us that Nabal told David, David's ten messengers, he wasn't going to give them anything. Nothing. Now please notice, notice how David overreacted. Man, did he ever overreact? By the way, do you ever overreact to a situation? Sometimes I overreact. Now, I want you to notice how David overreacted. Verse verse 12, here it is. So after David is told that this man Nabal is not going to give them anything for all the work that they did for him, verse 12 says, So David's men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Verse 13, (laughs) Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Get your swords. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Now that was David's reaction. Get your swords. David intended to go and kill Nabal and and all of Nabal's men. Now, think about it. Now, what causes us to sometimes overreact? To a disappointment, to a thoughtless word someone has said to us, or whatever. What are some of the things that cause us to overreact? Well, here are a few. Sometimes fatigue can be a cause of overreaction. In the case of David, he was no doubt tired, very tired from running. Uh, tired of running from Saul and his army, who had been trying to kill him for a long period of time. Sometimes, whether it's you or me, we overreact when we're too tired. Isn't that true? And uh, parents, we have to really be careful about that with our children, when they're whether whether they're small or old. Excuse me, older. We have to really be on our toes so that just because we're tired out. We don't overreact to whatever they say or do. Um, Then sometimes we overreact because of emotional pain. Emotional pain. David had been mourning the recent death of Samuel, who had been very special to him. And so David had been going through this emotional pain because he 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 was grieving. Grieving. Then other times we overreact because of physical pain. Physical pain you know when 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 you're in physical pain for whatever reasons because of knee problems or back problems or migraine headaches someone says something or does something it doesn't have to be something really big but boy because you're you're rushing to deal and cope with that physical pain whatever he or she said can really put you over right isn't that right so, Yes, yeah, so sometimes physical pain, then other times pride, pride. When someone says no to you, some people feel their, their pride was deeply hurt. And I suspect David, you know, had quite a bit of pride, and that would have been affected. Then uh, other times, maybe it's repeated disappointments that contribute to overreaction or uh, other stress or other many different causes. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is, and I've included in there time pressure, that's that's one that I have to always be careful about. And we have to be careful not to overreact to disappointments and never allow our own hurt feelings to cause you to jump towards deliberately hurting other people. I mean, think about it. David jumped when he discovered that Nabal wasn't going to give him anything, no provisions at all. He said, get ready. Get your swords ready. We're going to teach that man a lesson. He was going to go and kill him. He was going to go and take his life and the lives of others. My friends, there are many more lessons for us to learn From the Beauty and the Beast. And we're going to uncover those lessons in part two. But for today, I I want you to think of what we've talked about. I want you to think about living your life so you will be known as a beautiful person and not as a beast of a person. The good news is you and I Each one of us can look to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and into my life, and I want and I need you to change me, change this beastly nature of mine, change my nature into the kind of nature that is loving and kind and sweet, the kind of nature that pleases you, O Lord. And let's, let's, let's learn from Beauty and the Beast that, we need to speak lovingly and kindly and nicely to people. Let's let's remember that when it is within our means, we need to share our blessings with those through whom God has provided those blessings. And then, be careful. Let's be careful not to overreact to disappointments. Especially when we are under stress. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many very important and helpful lessons that we uncover from Beauty and the Beast. Lord, I pray that you would touch and impact each of our lives in different ways with the truths from this part of your Holy Bible. O God, may you help more and more of us to become like Abigail, like this wonderful dear lady. What a beauty she was from the inside out. Make us and mold us, Lord, into the kind of person, individual you want us to be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.